You're listening to The Lively Show, episode number 14. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Happy Thursday, guys. Thanks for listening to the show today. This week marks the third month anniversary for The Lively Show. Currently, we've had 50,000 downloads and counting and almost 100 reviews. Thank you guys. If you haven't left a review so far, please go over to iTunes and leave one today. It means so much to me. I totally read it. And it helps the podcast get seen by more people. In today's episode, we're talking with Aaron Gates of elementsofstyleblog.com. Aaron is an interior designer and blogger who has been a part of my blogging career. I've been following her since I began. She's so awesome, open, and completely herself. I find it incredibly inspiring. In our episode, we're going to talk about how Erin got started and the risk she took before her business was a huge success to go full-time, and we're going to talk about how that has grown to the point where this year is her biggest year ever. She's now the breadwinner, and she has a huge book coming out this fall. In addition, at the 18-minute and 30-second mark, we're going to talk about our topic for today, which is perfectionism. Erin has been very open about her perfectionism on the blog, and I wanted to discuss it in more detail. We will go through the ups and the downs that have come as a result of perfectionism, how she manages it, but also the positives that her perfectionism has provided for her as well. Often we can see perfectionism as this terrible thing that we need to hide from ourselves or to try to shift away from ourselves rather than looking at it for what it is, that it has positives and negatives and that we need to be able to manage both appropriately. Let's go to the show. Thank you so much for being on the show, Erin. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you here. So let's start talking about your career background and how you got to where you are. Okay. Um, let's see. Where did it start? Forever ago. I think I, I have always been a creative person. I've never been, you know, the numbers girl. Um, you can ask any of my math teachers <laughs> that. <laughs> um, and I grew up in a really creative household. So my dad... Um, is a self-taught architectural designer. I can't call him an architect because he didn't go to school for it. He actually taught himself all from books. So I grew up in, and also same time, my um, my family has went back three generations of running a women's clothing store. So I grew up among fashion and architecture really as a little one. So it was either playing with clothes and going to the store and, you know, seeing what was new or going to my dad's office and playing on the drafting board and with all his samples and stuff. So growing up, it wasn't, um, I was kind of like not an option, not in a bad way, but it was just like, oh, creative stuff. That was kind of what drove me. And um, so when I got to be of age where I started making career decisions, I knew I wanted to do something creative. However, I didn't have any clue what that was. Um, I loved, I loved the beauty of homes. I loved watching my dad build houses, but I also loved the fashion aspect of our family business. So, I started by interning for some fashion designers in New York for a little while in college. Actually, what designers? Joseph Abood, who's a men's designer. Um, he's from Boston, actually. And that was an internship I did. Instead of going abroad, I went to New York City. I developed a whole program just for myself. My school didn't have one. And I was like, I really want 
to see if I can get some experience in fashion. So I ended up getting somehow permission to go and work with this other school where we all had internships in New York City. And I worked for Joseph Abood in PR and styling. And so for a whole semester, I got to like, literally, like I got to measure Matthew McConaughey's inseam. <laughs> that was my, that was my internship. And, you know, work with Playboy editors on spreads for men's, you know, fashion. And I had friends, one friend worked for Saturday Night Live. So every Saturday night, we got to go to the taping and the after party with the secret little cove, of like where it was, the address. It was really amazing. And I came back from that being like, that's it. I'm going into fashion. I'm moving to Manhattan. It's going to be great. And then the next summer, I went and got an internship at Donna Karen, and I cried every single night. <laughs> um, it was a different beast. Menswear and womenswear, to, in my experience, are just different animals. It was so much more cutthroat in womenswear. And I just felt like this isn't how I want to spend my life. I was so stressed out. So I went back to college. And when I graduated, I decided to move to Boston with my girlfriends. And since I had majored in studio art, painting and photography, I became an assistant manager at a gallery on Newberry Street. So I got um, into the gallery world, thought, this is great. This is what I want to do. And of course, I was 20. I changed my mind. Um, <laughs> Surprising. Yeah, exactly. I loved it. And I still love, like, I would love to own a gallery. I mean, I love artwork. I still paint. I love buying artwork for clients. Absolutely love it. But being an assistant manager at a gallery working weekends wasn't my jam. So then I ended up taking a job in insurance brokerage, <laughs> which which is like the weirdest, weirdest shoot off and decision. However, at the time, all I wanted was to make some actual money and to be able to pay my bills. So I thought, you know what, This for six months, eight months, whatever, I'll be good. End up staying there two and a half years somehow. I got really, really comfortable with the kind of like the routine of like an office nine to five and steady paycheck and friends. I got really, really too comfortable. And then I woke up one morning. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, why am I sitting here wasting what talent I know I have, at least some of? So I talked to my husband. I'd gotten married by then. And I was like, I want to find a job in interior design. I really think that's where I want to be. And took an internship for design and quit my job, best day ever, and took an internship working for a designer in Boston who was really well-known um, and, and a different aesthetic than what I grew up with. I grew up with a very New England traditional aesthetic. My father's design um, kind of is like Nantucket style, shingle style cottages. They're beautiful. Beautiful. Amazing. Like my dad is my hero. He is so insanely talented, all you know through his own drive um, and passion for homes. So it was really interesting to spend some time studying under someone who had a completely different aesthetic, like super modern, super urban. And I really, really loved kind of learning more about that and figuring out how to blend what I grew up with, with this new, this new look. I ended up getting fired. <laughs> oh, God. Not for a bad reason. Just I actually, the explanation was that I was too good at my job and they couldn't afford to promote me. So I got fired two weeks before my wedding. And um, Oh, my God. It was, I got to take my honeymoon without any stress about vacation time, which was great. <laughs> but it was a little like jarring to be like getting married and losing your job in the same time frame. Actually, so I wasn't married then. Never mind. I wasn't married then. 
I was getting married when I took this job. Yeah, that's a lot of transition all at once. It was awful. It was a really dark time for me, actually. But when I came back from my honeymoon, I took a different job, planning events. See, I've had like lots of jobs. <laughs> planning events for an all-girls private school. I went to an all-girls private school that changed my life, and I owe them everything. So I thought, well, I'll go work at this other all-girls school. I have true passion for it. I actually did really like it. Planning events was great. And that's when I started the blog. What year was that? 2007. Okay. In April. Um, and I still had that book in my ear about interior design. I just was like, I love it. I really love it. I had my first home with my husband. I was decorating it. And I started writing the blog and I wrote it, I think it must have been for at least six months. Started getting some readers beyond my mother, you know, beyond like my girlfriends. And my husband sat me down and he was just like, you know what? Quit. Take a chance. Take, give yourself a year, just a year. Thing, I was very lucky in that I had someone to pay the mortgage on our condo and food. I had money saved and Andrew was able to, you know, kind of like take care of the bills for a while. And so I, being a very risk averse person, was terrified to do that. I love having my independence and being financially stable, but I also knew that I would really, really regret it if I didn't commit to this new career, at least for a little bit and see if I could do it. And, um, it worked, (laughs) it worked really well. Um, so what did you spend that year doing? I think a lot of people are listening might go, what did she do for that year to make it work? I literally, I worked on the blog and I ended up getting one or two little jobs, like one, like a girlfriend asking me who actually bought my first condo actually from me. Um, I worked on her place and a friend of a friend hired me to like help decorate her living room. And literally, I think the budget was $1,500 to do a whole living room. And I did it. And through these little jobs, I was like, oh my God, someone's hiring me to actually help them. This is like someone's paying me actual money. I think I was charging $50 an hour and it, it got this bug. And then, so I was just blogging a lot more. I was blogging every day, which I've done from the get-go, super important. We can come back to that. But it was like those little jobs and they started adding up. And then, um, but I spent a lot of time researching, a lot of time like scouring for sources, writing blog posts, making sure they were good and trying to send them out, spent time on other blogs, seeing what they were doing, commenting, um, trying to get my name out there. And it just kind of built very slowly, but it's steady. I think people think it's going to happen overnight and it doesn't. It took me so long before I got any real big clients, not even big clients, even just like yeah, medium-sized clients and decent blog traffic. I mean, it takes a while. It just does. Yeah. Absolutely. So what are you doing now? So obviously it's grown since then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. No, now, and my husband will probably be mad if I say this, but now I out earn my husband. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking, I'm like, I wonder how that's grown since then. No, he's been the most incredible cheerleader and I couldn't have done any of this without him. Any of it. I mean, the number of nights I was in tears, bawling, thinking I was awful. I was not talented. I had nothing to give. Um, He picked me up every single time that I was down. So he's super proud and he's not threatened by my, by my success at all, which I think is really special and 
awesome. He's like, good for you. Like, I mean, I happen to have had a really, really big year last yeah. year. So it was a little different um, in that I surpassed, you know, in a big way. But um, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky thing for a relationship. But I'm really lucky to have somebody who is so confident in himself, overly confident. <laughs> Sometimes if you've ever met him or anyone who's ever met him will know that my husband thinks he's pretty awesome. Um, and he is, and he is. But I think it's, it's an interesting dynamic we've had to work through. Is there anything you'd recommend with, for anyone else that might be dealing with that? You've got to talk a lot. You've got to talk. Like anytime that anything's bothering each other, you've got to talk it through. We, we've gone to bed angry in our lifetime and our marriage, but very rarely. I think, you know, if he's feeling weird about something or I'm feeling weird, we do like really communicate, over communicate in some degrees. But um, you just, you, ha- you can't hold anything inside. If there's any resentment or any anger or any jealousy, just, you have to just put it out there. Yeah. It's when the shadows go away and then it's not scary anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Then it's like, oh, okay. Like this isn't as scary as I thought it was, or this isn't as, this doesn't make me feel as bad about myself. Like you, you're a team. And my husband constantly reminds me of that. Like it isn't him versus me. It's us together. And if one year I happen to do a whole lot better, the next year he may, you know, and he, we go back to when I quit my job and I literally made like, I think I made like $9,000 that year. And, you know, he was the one who was the rock star and keeping everything afloat. So there's ebbs and flows. And, you know, when it comes to finances, I'm horrible talking about money. I hate talking about money. Oh my God, I hate it. And he makes me, you know, be like, you're a businesswoman and we need to talk about money. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And one of those big reasons I think for your year was your book, right? Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. That was crazy. I think I've been writing personal essays on the blog for a few years. I'd have to check back and see when I actually started putting that stuff out there to my mother's horror. (laughs) Um, She said, why are you telling everybody everything about you? (laughs) Um, But people started reading a lot more. And um, one in particular was actually a former client who was a literary agent. And she, about two and a half years, I think about two and a half years ago, she she said, let's have drinks. I want to talk to you about something. And she was like, have you thought about writing a book? And I'm like, of course I've thought about it. Like I, that's like a dream. It's like a pipe dream. It's like bucket list number one. I mean, but could it ever happen? I didn't think so. I really didn't. And she kept on me and was like, let's just talk about a a pitch. Let's just talk about a loose concept for a book that you'd like to write. And all I kept coming up with was I wanted to be just like the blog, but in print, I wanted to be a mix of personal essays, memoir-ish, but not a memoir, too young for that. And then with some design work. And I've been actually keeping most of my work unpublished on the blog. Yeah, I always wonder where your work is because you talk about all the projects, but I don't ever see a lot of them. I was kind of keeping everything wearing, you know, like tight to the vest. It was, uh, I had a feeling that I shouldn't have put everything out there. And when I had talked to her, she said, whatever you do, even if you decide not to, just don't put anything beyond, you know, sneak peeks on the blog. Because the most important thing about a blog to book deal is that the material's new. Exactly. I've seen some other blog books come out and people be really frustrated and feel a little bit gypped 
because, you know, 75% of the content is recycled from the blog. And people, you you know, if they're going to spend 30 bucks on your book, you want them to feel like this is something I haven't seen yet. So I've kept everything other than two projects. And so I think there's like 13 or 14 projects in the book, two of which have been shown before. So anyway, I I I, I kept shooting my work. I kept it all quiet. I thought a lot. We ended up writing this pitch. Pitches for books are tough. They're so scary and so much work. And it was like 50 pages long. And she sent it out to, I think, 10 publishers. And I think we got meetings with nine of 10. That's incredible. I've heard tell of your mythical <laughs> selling. I mean, it's it's definitely, out, I mean, yeah. you had a, a dream come true scenario. Yeah, it was crazy. And I was like, is that good? And she was like, you don't understand. This is amazing. So you go and it's like, I, I had no idea what to expect. She's like, okay, well, we go to New York and we have, you know, table side meetings with them. And so we go and you sit with these big publishers and you're walking down these hallways and seeing all these books you have in your coffee table. And you're like, oh my God, is this like, <laughs> they're going to laugh me out of this room. And we got bids. We got bids from eight of 10, I think. Eight of 10. Not, not to go too far into the book thing, though it's fascinating, yeah. but I have to ask, why do you think nine out of 10 wanted it? It's different. I think what I did was really framework this book as the home as your life story. There's, I mean, literally it is the first design book. I'm pretty confident that has the word uterus in it twice. <laughs> right. That's awesome. Like, it's totally not, it's not what any other design book is. And I don't mean that as like a, in a braggy way. I just mean like how I wanted it to be was like, there's stories about my life and then you'll see spaces in my, like, for example, the chapters in the book are rooms in the home. So it's like entry, living room, dining room, kitchen, so on, so forth. Um, and I tried to coordinate the essay portion, the personal essay with the room. So like the entry is an essay about leaving this, the decision we made to leave the city and buy a home in the burbs, even though we don't have kids and how scary that was and how, like what we went through the buying process of buying a home and inspections and moving here and breaking down and, thinking I made a huge mistake. And the nursery is about our decision to have children. Do we want to? Can we? All that good stuff. So, and then it'll go into other things about, you know, how to design that room, that nursery, that entry, whatever. So it's got a little more depth to it. It's not all about just the surface value of things. There's there's a little bit more there. So I think that's what attracted them. They also knew I had a pretty solid audience already built in. And when it comes down to it, it's a numbers game for these publishers. And when they know that they have a guaranteed sale, most likely of maybe half my readers, it's super attractive. So I think that's probably part of it. Um, I don't know. We'll see what happens when it comes out. I'm excited to get the book. I will have a link in the show notes. So it's justlivey.com slash Aaron Gates for those who want to go find the book. We'll have the link there. But now let's take a turn. So one of the things I've been following your blog for years, I'm so excited to have you on the show. And I want to talk about your struggle with perfectionism and trying to do it all. So if you're open to it, would you mind sharing a little bit about that and what you do when you find yourself struggling with it? Yeah, it's a tough, it's my, it's my biggest hurdle in life is dealing with my own personal views on perfectionism and how I am internalize it. 
I think since I was little, I was a perfectionist. I certainly, in other times in my life, my teen years, it came out in an eating disorder. And that was more about my physical appearance and social, some social things. And then now as a working professional and wife and friend, it's, it's this like Pinterest perfect concept of what a woman is supposed to be like these days. And I feel like it's impossible. And yet, even though I know, I know it's impossible, I still strive for it. And I still get really, really disappointed when I don't live up to what I think I should be, which is exhausting. I really, I, I feel like I should always look perfect. I sh- you know, the blog should be amazing. All my work should be incredible. My clients should never get mad at me. You know, I should never make mistakes. When I make mistakes, I berate myself like unendingly. It's unbelievable. Like I, I literally, I can't, I have zero patience for myself when I make mistakes in work, in life, any little judgment. It takes me like 10 minutes to decide what I want to drink when I go out to dinner. I mean, I literally, I'm like, am I going to regret that? Um, <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, it's, it's tough. And I think it's, it's, it just gets tougher with, you know, all the social media out there. You feel as, you know, we've all seen quotes that say things like, well, Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram, those are everyone's highlight reels. You're not seeing the crappy, you're not seeing, you know, the picture of, you know, the mac and frozen mac and cheese someone ate for dinner. You're seeing the one night that they made some organic gluten-free, amazing Martha Stewart dinner. Yeah. And you're comparing everything you do every single minute of every day to that person's one highlight or two highlights of that day. And it's just hard. I think you have to step back. You really have to step back. The blogging world is super competitive and the design world too. You know, you see people like who's getting published, who's got all these readers, who's getting these, you know, freebies and trips and things. And you feel like you should be, you should be on par with everyone else. And sometimes you're just not going to be. And that's hard to accept when you're a perfectionist because you want to be everything to everyone. Yeah, I've struggled with it myself, too. And one of the hard things I find about what you were saying with social media is that often you're scrolling through a feed. So you're seeing a different highlight from a different person. So there's like cumulatively like 20 highlights that you're comparing yourself to of 20 different people. So that one person that has a great meal doesn't necessarily their house could be a mess. And then someone else's house is looking immaculate, but they eat the mac and cheese. So there's always this like cumulative idea in story we tell more than even like looking at one specific person. Exactly. And that's that's why it's been important for me to be real on the blog. And I think I've had people say to me, your life's perfect. No, it's not. And then I, but if you look, you know, quickly at what I guess I've been sharing, it does look, it it is awesome. I mean, it is awesome, but there are definite missteps and down days and I'm a horrible cook. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, there's, you know, I, most days I wear just jeans and a striped t-shirt because I have 300 of them. You like, it's just not, I'm not that, I think style blogger. I mean, I just got back from going to style blogger conference and there, you know, it's, it's great, but it's really tough when you see what these girls are wearing every day and feel like, well, crap, I'm wearing my gap flats and my old Navy sweatshirt. Like I can't compete with that. Well, that's their job. You have to remember that like for girls like that, that's their job. And they may feel that way about their house yeah. and how you, and your house. They may be sitting on lawn chairs in their living room, you know, <laughs> and that's, you know, what they're really good at. And what I'm really good at is different. 
and it's just, it's, it's really, and I, I've found that the more honest I am and the more I show my flaws on the blog, the more hits I get true. Like the more responses I get, the more, and I, I'm not doing it for that. I'm doing that because I get this feedback from people that makes my day that someone is like, you made me feel not alone. You made me feel like pretty good about myself and thank you. And there's nothing better. There really is nothing better for me. Like I'd rather get an email like that over, you know, someone saying that they, you know, love, you know, the $10,000 rug I put in their house. Like I would so much rather get an email from someone I don't know saying I helped them in some little tiny way. It's amazing. Yeah. So what do you do when you find yourself struggling with it? Um, I have a hard time to be honest. I mean, I see a therapist. I think talking to someone who's, you know, a little outside of your, like even your closest friends and spouses and parents, they're a little biased and they may see things in a slanted view. Talking to someone who's completely independent is is refreshing and can kind of wake you up a little bit, I think. Um, I try, Sometimes I have to shut off my Instagram. I love Instagram, but... Um, Sometimes I just have to check out. I think what I've tr- I'm trying to implement for myself is on weekends to try to just stay off it unless I'm posting something that I really want to share um, and trying to get a little bit more time offline. Uh, it's really hard when your job is online and you feel like you should always be working. Yeah. But um, I think for the summer, I'm actually, my goal, I'm not booking as many jobs because um, I know I have to go on book tour in the fall, and writing this book was a beast. I'm pretty tired, so <laughs> I'm trying really hard to give myself a break this summer. It's hard for someone like me, and probably like you, like sitting still is torture for me. So I'm trying really hard to force myself to breathe and let go and know that I don't have to be busy every single minute of every single day. It's really hard, though. <laughs> it is. It is. So is there anything else you're taking off your list? Um, besides social media, perhaps on the weekends and other offline yeah. time? Well, yeah, yeah. Right now, yeah, other than trying to just not load up my schedule, I think saying no is really hard. Um, it's hard for me saying no to social ob- obligations, work obligations. I get a lot of really great offers to work with companies and different people and go places and do things. And I've been saying yes to as much as I can. And I think right now my my goal is to say no more and to say yes only to the things that I really truly am thrilled to my toes about. And it's hard because you don't want to miss an opportunity, but at the same time, if you're doing everything at 50% instead of a hundred percent, it's just not, it's not great for you, for them, for your career. So saying no. Just a suggestion for you or for anyone else listening that what you're saying, I heard a great uh, thing. It came from Marie Forleo's video about ADD. I'll try to, I'll put the link in the show notes, but basically one of the ways to say no that you just touched on is to say, thank you so much. I don't have the time to do this project justice. Like you said, the 50% versus a hundred percent and to actually phrase it that way rather than just saying, no, I'm not going to do it and kind of hurting their feelings, but to say, I honor your project so much. I only want to give it 100% and I can't do that at this moment or, you know, in general. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, that's, I've spent a lot of time being like, yes, let me try to fit it in. Let me try to squeeze this in for you because I don't want to let anyone down and I want to, I want to do as much as I can, but also you don't want to disappoint people. So it, you've got to start 
deciding what's really important and, and whether that time away from your family or away from other important things is really, really worth it to you. Pros and con lists help immensely with that. But sometimes you just have to listen to your gut yeah. and say, I just can't. And I never listen to my gut. <laughs> really, I have a really, actually, this is what my therapist said last week, that I have a very strong voice. Like I know, like I get gut reactions and a lot of times I brush them aside because I'm like, oh, don't be silly. Like you can do this. You should go. You should do this. You should do that. And then I end up miserable or like whatever I've committed to isn't what it should be or what I thought it was going to be. And then I feel really frustrated. If I just listened to my inner voice and listened to my gut, I would have been happier and calmer and all those good things. So our podcast last week was the lively show was last week was about that following intuition. So if you want, uh, for those listening, the lively show, if you go to Claire Persis's episode, you can hear more about that. And Aaron, you might like it too. <laughs> I know I might need to go listen to that. <laughs> for sure. So here's a question, Aaron, I really am also curious about equally to all of this topic. Do you think this perfectionism has actually helped you in any way with your career? Yes, it's made my career. So I've come to and my perfectionism and my anxiety kind of go hand in hand. Um, and I think they do for a lot of people. And I really always felt like it was a horrible thing. Like it was something to be embarrassed about. And it was something to be really frustrated that I deal with. And then someone said to me the other day, but if you weren't this anxious and you weren't a perfectionist, you would not be where you are. You have to be, thank it. You have to be grateful for it. You have to learn to live with it and manage it so it doesn't destroy you. But at the same time, you have to you have to honor the fact that the fact that you're just work your butt off and you're trying to do things as perfect as possible is why people hire you it's why you got a book deal it's why you have a blog that all these people read you know you can't consistently fight it you have to just know i mean you can people do they can change i know people say they can't i think people can change but that's one thing about myself i don't necessarily want to change immensely. I just want to learn how to manage it better. I love that. So have you thought of any ways to help you manage it better? I think you just have to like, I'm trying to just be like, this is how I am. Like when people tell me to calm down or (laughs) (laughs) usually my assistant and my husband, um, you know, it's like, I, I just want to say, you know what? I need to love this about myself. And that's a hard thing for me to do, but I need to just say, this is why I'm successful and just breathe deep, take five deep breaths. That's my new thing that I do when I'm feeling overwhelmed or frustrated or anything. Just take five deep breaths and just think about in the grand scheme of life, is this worth getting upset over? No, move on. Because rarely is it. In my experience, every time I've thought it was a life or death moment and usually involves like a sconce or something really stupid (laughs) where I'm like, my life is over. It's not. It sucks for a day. It sucks to have someone mad at you or it sucks to have to like pay out of pocket for something that breaks or an order that's wrong. Is it going to end you? No. You just have to kind of breathe, reboot, move on and try not to, you know, just think about maybe it'll help you do things differently the next time around. Yeah. So what would you recommend for other people who might be facing this kind of perfectionism besides breathing five breaths? Is there anything or just to lean into it? What do you think? Um, I think you need to, like, I think how we've just talked about, like, you need to accept it and own it and then know when you can step back and let go a little bit. It's really hard to let go when you're a perfectionist, but 
just lay back and like watch a movie with someone you love or someone that makes you smile. Don't turn on your computer. Don't look at your phone. I think perfectionists really need to take time to reboot and relax because we're not people who easily relax. So it's almost, it's almost painful at first. (laughs) You're almost like, oh my God, if I don't look at my phone, what if something went wrong? What if I miss something? You know, what if something needs fixing? But after a while, it becomes a little bit easier and a little bit easier and a little bit easier. So I think that's, that's the best thing. And hiring help when needed, if you're running a business and you're wondering whether or not you should hire help, do it. It's the best thing I ever did. You need to be able to delegate and take things off your plate. Um, you can't do everything. I know perfectionists like me think they can do everything best themselves and quicker themselves, which is probably true. But if you have to do too much at once, you're never going to do anything perfectly right. So you need to find someone you trust to delegate things, to take them off your plate so that you can focus on what you do best and someone else can focus on what they do best. Yeah. So what doubts or resistance have you had to face in your career or your life? Oh my gosh, I doubt everything. Um, I think actually recently there was an incident where I, after everything I've accomplished this year, I've written a book. Um, you know, I feel like it's it's been a big year. I pitched a project to a big shelter magazine and they said no. And it was like a knife in the gut. I was like, really? You start doubting, your t- am I good? Like, was this even any good? Was it awful? Did they laugh at it? Did they hate it? Did they think it was just a joke? Like, and I think in this, in the design world or really any, you have to just know that some people aren't going to, not everyone's going to love what you do. And um, for me, I've had to kind of come back to that every now and again, especially this year where it's like, no, it doesn't mean they hated it. It doesn't mean that it's awful. It just means that, you know, this wasn't right for their magazine at that time or, or whatever your book pitch or whatever it is that you're out there trying to do. It's not always going to be yes, but that doesn't mean that it's bad. Uh, My husband reminds me of this all the time. He's had a lot of hurdles in his career and watching him be as resilient as he is, is like amazing to me. And other than that, I think at the beginning of my career, a big hurdle, and it was the same for my dad, was not having a formal master's degree. It kept me from really getting promote like I getting promoted in the job I had or finding any other design work at a bigger firm for someone else. They all wanted a master's degree in interior design. And I really had no interest in going to get it. I, I mean, I got into a program, but it was four years full time. I was like, I could be a surgeon. <laughs> that, feels, that feels excessive. Um, and it was part of the reason I went out and, and tried to do it on my own was because looking up to my dad, he was the same way. He wasn't able to go to architecture school and that held him back for a while. And then if you just kind of like pull up your bootstraps and say, well, at least I'm going to try and see if I can make a career on my own with what I have, um, it can work. It can. Does it hold you back anymore or no? Nope. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? It does, but not in a way that I care about. It keeps me from doing huge commercial jobs. Um, it keeps me like doing a huge apartment building, but 
that's not a huge interest of mine. I really love the intimacy of working with people on residences in their homes and like tiny, I can do small commercial jobs. What I do is I hire people who have those technical skills to consult and work with me on a team. Um, it's not my strong suit. I know that. It, there's no point in me going to school to learn how to, you know, do the math to make sure a wall stands up. That's not where my talent lies. My talent lies in the bigger picture, more aesthetic angles of design. So I just kind of know where my strengths are and then know that I can always contract out help that can handle that part of the work when it's needed. Absolutely. So what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey? And that journey could be perfectionism or design. On either, you have to just be, be a tiny bit brave. And this is coming from someone who is not that brave. You have to believe in yourself and you have to give yourself a little bit of a break. Um, when it comes to design, blogging, anything like that, you have to really put your all into it and be consistent and try really hard and it's going to take a while so you can't give up after a month or two months or three months you have to know that it takes a while to build a career and build a name for yourself and build a following it took me five years before my blog was ever something significant of blogging every single day five days a week every year I mean it's a lot of posts to do for a tiny audience but it builds. Same with design. You take the tiny jobs, you love them, you do them with every ounce of your being, and then they turn magically into medium-sized jobs and then big jobs. Um, And I think for perfectionism, I think just be easy with yourself. Be a little bit kinder. It's really hard. I know perfectionists like myself, we beat ourselves up. We are are so brutal to our on ourselves more so than to other people for sure. So when you can just try to really think about being a little bit kinder to yourself. It's really hard, but I'm trying to do it so you can. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you so of much. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for listening and thank you Aaron for being on the show. If you'd like to send Aaron a message about the show, please go over to Twitter and send her a message at element style. I hope you guys have a great week and I'll see you next Thursday.